As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. As ever, we are the best podcast on God's green earth talking about Manchester United's past, present and future. And joining me this week is my traditional strike partner, my fellow Manchester United beat writer, Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Kai. You okay? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thanks. Uh, glad the international break is almost over. Am I allowed <laughs> to say that? We're a club podcast. We can say things. <laughs> you can. <laughs> also with me is United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic. He's the grand oracle, as I describe, of all things Manchester United. and one of the best storytellers I know. It's Mr. Andy Mitten. How are you doing, Andy? All good, Carl. Nice to join you. You and Laurie, looking forward to this. I ask you this every single week. So whereabouts in the world are you? This week? Barcelona. It's been nice not to travel for a, a couple of weeks. And uh, I do actually enjoy the international weeks, if I'm honest. It's time with my family and it just stops the madness. But once after this West Brom game, I don't think there's any let, let up then, is there? There's so many matches coming up and I'm sure we're going we're gonna to cover them all. You are correct. There are 10 games in the next four weeks. Now the international break is over, air quotes. There is a couple more games to be played in the midweek. Listener, there's going to be plenty of Manchester United writing on The Athletic. You've got Laurie's article on what it's like to be an assistant manager at Old Trafford. We have a piece from Adam Crafton talking about what it's like being a player when Roy Keane is your manager. And we've got a whole bunch of other things coming up very, very soon. But just to make sure you know how to get on The Athletic, subscription is currently just £1 per week. So just go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up for some of the best Manchester United writing in the English language. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod for a subscription that's currently just £1 per week. I'm going to interject here, Carl, because there's another piece that you've not mentioned that's on The Athletic, and it's about a certain bit of news that you uh, managed to secure last week when you were away on holiday, in air quotes, as you, as you like to say. We thought you were resting. In actual fact, you were working busily, and there's some big news that you've got, right? Yes. Involved in it, a very exciting project. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to say that uh, I'm going to be writing a children's book with Marcus Rashford. That feels very weird whenever I say it out loud. <laughs> Sounds fantastic, though. Yes. So, so, so Marcus Rashford's launched his book club, and you're going to be one of the kind of key pillars of it. Uh, you know, coming out next May, right? That you're going to write this children's book. Yes. So, Marcus Rashford has launched a new book club with Macmillan Publishing, and the first book as part of his book club is a book called "Be a Champion" that will be out in May. Um, it's going to be co-created between myself, uh, sports psychologist Kate Warriner, and Marcus Rashford himself. Um, so, while I was on holiday last week, I also spent 
a large part of it reading a number of books that Marcus Rashford quite enjoys so I can try and get into the mindset of Mr. Rashford. Um, I recently finished reading Relentless by Tim Grover. Um, anyone that's watched The Last Dance, Tim Grover is Michael Jordan's personal trainer and tells the story of the food poisoning in Utah. So um, I've been reading one of Rashford's favorite books. Love it. Uh, and we were talking off air as well, how you're not going to get any sleep now, are you? Because Andy's <laughs> Andy knows what it's like to write you know, a number of books, Manchester United focused. You were giving each other a bit, well, Andy, you were giving Carl some tips and Carl, you were sort of letting us into what it's going to be like to sort of ghost Marcus Rashford. Andy, I'm going to ask you for loads of advice in the next coming weeks, especially what music's really good to write to. I'll be happy to give it and well done. It's good news. I've done 11 books over the years. Um, I think when you get the finished book and it's there, I think books are beautiful things and I've been passionate about them since I've been a kid and I still buy them. I like them in, in physical form. You take a lot of time. I, I once worked out each book took me an average of 800 hours to do and I try to do all my interviews face to face that it took a lot of traveling as well. And I've not done any in, in recent years cause they just take so much time. And you know, I've got, a, I've got a young family, but when you're getting original material and you're working with talented copy editors and you get that finished book, it's a real buzz. So I'd be more than happy to, um, to give you any tips, which I've learned along the way. Thank you very much. And uh, I'm also going to say thank you for all those lovely United We Stand copies that have been sending me in the post because they've been helping me during my holiday as well. Right then, bunch of handshakes all done. Shall we start talking <laughs> about uh, Manchester United and some on-the-pitch information? Yeah, it's crack up. International break. Normally a time for a bit of peace and quiet, but uh, there's been some activity left and right with Manchester United players. I think one of the biggest stories that we've been currently mourning is that of Alex Tillis, the Brazilian left-back who perhaps tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Laurie, what can you tell me here about United's hopeful left-back? Yeah, we t- we've been sort of wondering about this, haven't we, Carl? Because there's a piece that we might be writing uh, coming up sort of around United's left-back situation with the news that Luke Shaw's going to be out for, I guess, another three, four weeks at least here. So, um, yeah, a lot of eyes on Alex Talese and he's been away with Brazil, um, you know, has played for them, tested negative a couple of times and then tested positive now we're kind of scratching our heads thinking can you catch coronavirus again because he has already been tested positive and he's spent those two weeks in quarantine after that really good debut against Paris Saint-Germain um, but United were always a little bit uh, you know cautious of, of sort of ruling him out straight away and saying that's it because you know we have had issues uh, instances of uh, false positives and it looks perhaps that that might have been the case in this instance because he's since tested negative and the Brazilian Football Confederation are saying that Talese will travel with the squad uh, on Tuesday um, to, to face uh, Uruguay and so hopefully United think that he will come back be okay test negative again and, and sort of be clear to play against West Brom because that issue of, of left back with Luke Shaw not being there you'd ideally like to have Talese as, as an option there at least I know there's Brandon Williams as well but um, you know I think Talese probably would get the nod if he's fit and firing so it's, it's one to watch but yeah a bit of a confusing situation as we have discovered with coronavirus throughout this pandemic. Indeed, one to watch. Uh, by the time this podcast goes live, uh, Uruguay would have played Brazil. That game is going to be played on Tuesday at 11 o'clock uh, GMT. So if he's in there, thumbs up. He'll probably play against West <laughs> Brom. If he's not, um, I'm going to make a womp, womp, womp noise. <laughs> um, we've spoken on this podcast a lot about Brandon Williams. Andy, I know you've written a fantastic piece on The Athletic about it. Um, in a game 
against West Brom on the weekend. Could Talese being out for two weeks again, possibly, for COVID-19? Is that a big worry for you? Yeah, because he's yet to hit a pattern and settle in at his new club. And this is a fullback who was consistent and playing every week. And he came on, um, he started in, in Paris and he hit a couple of really beautiful crosses, but he needs to find his way and to be playing regularly. And if Luke Shaw's going to be out as he is, then this seems to be the natural opportunity for him. There's a game against Uruguay. Luis Suarez tested positive um, for COVID. So you wonder how that's going to affect the, the other Uruguay players as well. Manchester United have obviously got Edinson um, Cavani, who's another player who, although he's played more minutes than Talese and he's scored, um, he sense that he needs a run of games as well to start scoring all those goals. So then you look towards um, Brandon Williams, and I'm probably less sure about Brandon Williams' future at United than I would have been talking six months ago. I think if United were absolutely sure of him, they wouldn't have brought Tillys in. Brandon's still very young. He's been very successful coming through the youth teams, captain in the youth teams, and there may be a case for him switching to right back. I don't know is the answer to your question. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, all I know is that, that Shaw is out and if Tillys is out, then it looks like... Brandon will come in and hopefully he'll continue to mature as a player and he will have a good future at Manchester United. Uh, but I'm just not as certain of it uh, as I was um, some months ago. To get the spreadsheets out, if Brandon Williams does play on the weekend, you might see the return of the Manu Matic. Uh, a natural left footer might compensate for Brandon Williams being naturally right-footed. So uh, keep tabs on that one. Uh, also of interest during the international break is activities in France. We'll get to Paul Pogba in a bit. But first of all, I want to talk about Anthony Martial. Um, Martial started for France in a very weird 4-4-2 shape they played against Finland, where they eventually lost 2-0. Wasn't the best performance of Martial, who's not had the greatest France career. Uh, and now I'm also hearing that reports that Anthony Martial is training alone. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, all I know is what's been reported by uh, French news like French news outlet RMC Sport, which is saying that Martial trained um, on his own on Monday, uh, considered a doubt again for Tuesday night's game with Sweden. So by the time this podcast out, we'll we'll know whether or not he's played in that game. And I guess yeah, it's a thumbs up or thumbs down again, isn't it? If he if he plays or if he doesn't, um, I think he he looked quite good against Portugal, Martial, without actually scoring. So I mean that was kind of a bit more uh, positive. Um, and you hope that it's just a sort of minor niggle, you know, of, of the kind that. It's kept Marcus Rashford out of, of England's uh, games um, this international break. You know, I suppose we'll just have to wait and see on that one. But as Andy said, with the you know the doubts about you know Cavani's full fitness, if if Suarez is tested positive, um, you know if you've got certain injuries being picked up in matches, it just adds to this idea that you've got so many games being crammed in. The international calendar has not at all um, receded from what they you know f- from the original sort of schedule. You know, they've, they've put. put more games than if anything uh, and so you're going to have these these breaking points I suppose so it will be frustrating you know for Solskjaer if, if Martial is out um, and I mean I suppose as you said earlier Carl it's 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 the last international break you know until March so uh, I suppose that's one um, element to consider. Mm-hmm. We had Solskjaer talk about Manchester United being three to four weeks off match fitness after the game against Brighton they finally got to that point and uh, had a little uptick in form during the Champions League games against Leipzig and Paris Saint-Germain and now maybe Covid is going to disrupt that match fitness again tricky one should we talk about these Paul Pogba quotes as well yeah let's do that go on then right 
Um, it's an international break, which means Paul Pogba said something in France, forgetting that news travels all around the world. Uh, I will get up these quotes because I believe some of these uh, were poorly translated. Paul Pogba was talking to French media, RTL, and said the following in French. Uh, this is a period I haven't previously experienced in my career, as I've been used to playing all the time and getting into my rhythm. So suddenly that's changed. I feel I'm gradually getting back to it now and rediscovering my form. That's the sort of performance I need to produce and I need to do consistently. Playing with France, it's like a window that opens up. It's a breath of fresh air when you come here. We have a truly fantastic squad. When we come here, we are all happy. We're all pleased to see one another. We really enjoy ourselves on the pitch. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy ourselves at club level, but it's not the same. We are a real family and we have so much fun when we come here. When these quotes first came out, there was some speculation that this was a veiled dig, sort of Pogba being unhappy at United and then being happy with France. Uh, and then when the full con quotes came out and we had that little section where he goes, that doesn't mean we don't enjoy ourselves at club level. It turned out it's just more Pogba being happy to see Antoine Griezmann again because they're supposed to be inseparable in the France dressing room. Mr. Mitten, what's your view on this? Is this making a mountain out of molehill or is it just Pogba just being happy playing for France? I think he's being honest, but I also think he needs to be careful because there's a trend here of saying things which come back and slap him in his face and timing and tone can be really important and his stock among Manchester United fans is probably lower now than at any point since he joined from Juventus in 2016. I remember it being really low in the weeks before Oli Gunnar came in and there was a sense of someone's going to go here. Someone actually told me United were going to try and get rid of, of Pogba but it was Jose Mourinho who lost his job because it's easier to sack a manager than a player but then Paul Pogba had a really sweet spot when Oli first came I think he's been dropped this season because his performances have not been good enough. In mitigation, he's had COVID and people are still learning to understand how that affects you, not just when you immediately get over the virus, but in the medium and even long term. And then like the rest of the players, he's not had a pre-season, but I've been struck by the number of United fans who are just prepared to see him go now. There's very little support for Pogba. And that can change. A few good performances and he's got it in him. But it seems like we're having these same conversations that we've been having for over four years now. He's underwhelmed since he came for that record transfer fee from Juventus. He's clearly hugely talented, but his lack of discipline during games uh, can cost Manchester United. He's had a couple of horrific games this season and he's not the only one, but that Tottenham game was awful for him and obviously gave the penalty away as well. So I think Ollie was right to drop him. If I'm looking at it optimistically, and I know that the coaches at the clubs will try and be optimistic and work with the player that they have while also knowing that he's an enigma and they're not sure where he wants to go in the future. When he came on against Newcastle, he did well. When he came on against Everton, he did well. And when he came on against PSG, he did really well. But we're judging him here off 8, 15, 20 minutes. He wasn't brought to be a substitute for Manchester United. And if he's having a bad spot, fine. Every player has them. Some players have bad seasons. We should also add the serious injury which he had, which kept him out for, for such a, a long time last season. But the feels like it's a rinse and repeat conversation with him. And I feel that most United fans now would not be protesting if Paul Pogba was sold. However, as I've said, people can change the tune pretty quickly. I'd still love to see him be a success. I'd love to see him... 
be a key part of the Manchester United team, combined with Bruno Fernandes like he did at Brighton away, hit those wonderful passes. But there needs to be a major, major improvement. What are you thinking, Laurie? Yeah, well, we've got loads of questions about this from, from listeners. So you can always, I'm sure you did as well, Carl, you, you, know, you can always test the mood amongst fans when we put out these tweets and say, can we get some of your thoughts on questions and Pogba came back as a, a kind of consistent theme. So one, for example, from at Chuparos, uh, should United be offering a new a contract renewal to Pogba? And if so, do they have enough leverage at the moment um, to be able to not have to pay him significantly more than he earns now? Uh, so I suppose that's the question, isn't it? You know, next summer, he'll have a year left on his deal. It's, it's sell him or sign him up again, isn't it, really? And I think the leaning at the moment is, you know, ideal if you can get... You know, it depends how much you can get for him, you know, as, as to what people will accept. So, but I, I've heard, you know, as low as sort of 50, 50 million for him, you know, would Oof. be, you know, a, a sort of a, a people look at that and think, actually, that would be, you know, with a year left on his on his deal. I know that you bought him for 90 odd million, but, you know, time has moved on. You know, we're in different situations. He's, he's not he's not really done it for United on a consistent basis at any point he's had games where he's looked great he's had moments in games where he's looked fantastic and he's clearly technically United's best player I would say you know the the range of passing that he has the physicality that he brings I know you've spoken before haven't you uh, Carl about the fact that actually if he was a bit smaller maybe we'd you know, understand what his, his game is a lot better. But we've had this continual question about where should he play? Can he play with these other players? And for, for sort of £89 million, pounds, you think you know, you wouldn't need to ask those kind of questions. So I think if United could actually sell him for a decent chunk of money, you know, next summer, buy a player in using that money who actually wants to be at the club. Because I think, I think that's what the comments like he has said during this international break just reveal. I think that... Yeah, fair enough. He's, he's speaking honestly, and I think we all appreciate when players actually are honest in their answers, and he, he says interesting things. But I think it does reveal a, a kind of longing to be somewhere else, perhaps you know, in his in his daily life where he's fully uh, on board. It, it reminded me a little bit of when you'd always get because um, I cover Wales, you'd get Gareth Bale. Mm. coming away from Real Madrid and he would never he would never stick the knife in with with Real Madrid he would always sort of be diplomatic and and be you know uh, extremely professional but you could just tell when he was talking about Wales and how much he enjoyed it that's where his real passion was and obviously he's now moved to Spurs and and you can kind of sense that there's a a more synergy between his club and and country football Um, and I I wonder if that's ultimately really what what Pogba is getting at And, and listen who are we to to say you know to Pogba you shouldn't be you know that way inclined in your you know your club life your daily life but at the same time whilst you're a Man United player getting paid very handsomely for it you should do your absolute utmost to perform every week and if that is off the bench then so be it I think he has shown application in those moments as Andy says and I don't think that's necessarily in this current climate you know such with the team that United have got such a bad thing to have a, a player like Paul Pogba being able to come off the bench and maybe you know win a game late on or, or, or salvage a game late on I think that's not a bad way to use him at present it, it might sound you know people could probably you know punch me around the head and say you're talking absolute gibberish <laughs> but I personally feel that like that's not a, a bad way to use him Hello I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game 
and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think we might have to get a new section on the podcast called Pogba Watch. (laughs) Um, I did write a piece earlier this season saying if Pogba was five foot nine, we wouldn't be asking him to do all the defensive work that he very clearly doesn't enjoy. Um, I'm finding his... Um, NBA shooter sleeve that he wears on one arm but not on the other I find that quite amusing but I do agree he we will get into this in a little bit I think Laurie we're going to definitely collaborate on a piece on what Pogba does for Manchester United especially in this deep role now he's playing with Bruno Um, I don't think Pogba is the main man at Manchester United anymore and Bruno has been the best and possibly worst thing for him Um, and it's probably open what I think what happened was Towards the end of last season, Bruno was such an enlivening impact on that team that Pogba decided maybe I'll stick around for a little bit. Um, but there was definitely a point, perhaps in the summer, where it became apparent that certain newer players wouldn't arrive. Not player X, but perhaps another defensive midfielder to take some of that defensive burden off Pogba. Um, that Pogba perhaps got a bit sadder. Um, that Spurs game, I think, has put to bed the idea of Pogba as a guaranteed star at the moment and I really enjoy this new role he's got as a substitute option where he's got half an hour to come into games and basically go make sure you hold on to the ball get the ball up the pitch as quickly as possible and try and score some goals I think that's the closest idea to freedom you can get from Pogba right now Pogba's best time for Manchester United was just after Mourinho left when Tosha comes in and they're playing a 4-3-3 with Nemanja Matic to do all the tackling and Ander Herrera to do all the ball carrying and then Pogba could just do those late arrivals into the box. He can't do that so much right now because they aren't those two players that do that job for him. Uh, and Bruno Fernandes is doing the late arrivals to the box. So it's tricky. It will get better. However, like you say, we talk about Pogba a lot. So let's talk about some actual articles we've got in the play <laughs> right now that are really, really good. Laurie, you delivered an absolute stormer recently. Uh, calling, what's calm. it like being an assistant manager at Manchester United? I really enjoyed this one. Oh, cheers, Carl. That was that was genuine. Uh, you seem to genuinely enjoy that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, we, and this, it was. It was we, we discussed this thing between you and I on terms of we, we've done a, a blitz for for the Athletic. Uh, what it's like, so that there's a theme that we we, we sort of had to work around, and we, we batted a few ideas around. But I think it was you that came up with the what it's like to be a number two at United. And I, I've spoken to numerous people um, that have had that role, you know, throughout the years, really. And so I had some stuff on record from them already. Uh, you know, Steve McLaren. 
Ryan Giggs, Albert Stoivenberg, a little bit of background on how important Rui Faria was to Jose Mourinho actually and the fact that perhaps that went a little bit underappreciated when he left in the in the summer of 2018 and, and how that, uh, one source was telling me that that kind of removed uh, a kind of cushion between the players and the manager who obviously became uh, sort of more abrasive uh, and there wasn't that conduit between manager and player to say, listen, you know, if, you, if you've got a grievance, don't go and see him now. I'll, I'll talk to him. You know, we can come back to it later. Um, also, Mike Phelan, who, um, you know, I was at a talk that he gave um, uh, for raising money for his local uh, football club in Burnley, uh, where he, was, he talked about a lot of different issues as a, as a number two that he's obviously held as a for seven years on and off, you know, in between, uh, you know, being with Sir Alex Ferguson and, and now with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And then he also gave a webinar at the start of lockdown where he spoke about coaching and, and just kind of gave it an idea as to mentality of a coach um, and what it is to be that that number two on the, on the training pitch uh, and then I spoke to Rene Mullenstein who is always you know an interesting guy to speak to and I know that he wasn't you know technically the assistant manager but he very much can lend you know great insight into how that worked under Sir Alex you know, he was there for you know five years in that role as one of his core staff members first team coach and he would talk to me about how Sir Alex was very much the manager, but he did want to hear from his assistants what they thought on sort of tactical nuances in games. So he, he brought up this one match, you know, the 4-3 against Man City when Darren Fletcher would arrive late into the box, um, you know, and Giggs would have space to kind of cross it in. And, and they thought that might be the case because Michael Richards tended to stand off a little bit so that he, you know, in those one-on-one one-on-one situations and Fletcher then scored twice from headers. Obviously, Rene would remember the times that it went spot on and maybe wasn't <laughs> going to share the times that didn't quite go so well. But I thought it was a really interesting insight into those kind of discussions, what you talk about, how it is to be, you know, assisting, you know, a manager at such a big club. And I think it is different at Manchester United than other clubs just because there's that pressure there. There's that scrutiny all the time. And also there's that opportunity. If you do want to go on from being an assistant, you can be a manager in your own right. So obviously, uh, Rene managed at Fulham, Maccabi Haifa, he's now assisting at Australia. Steve McLaren went on to manage Middlesbrough and, and, and a little country called England. Um, you know, Ryan Giggs is now manager of Wales. Um, you know, so you've got that, that is a clear route from being an assistant at Manchester United to, to go on and, and be a manager in your own right. Carlos Queiros is another one as well. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I, I enjoyed writing it and kind of considering my thoughts, getting them all in one place. But, um, and I mean, they're, they're, they're people that you've interviewed and, and met. Andy, numerous times over the years, right? Yeah, I went to Iran to see Carlos Queiroz. I knew Brian Kidd. I knew uh, you'd have a Carlos Queiroz. Iran. (laughs) He's gone to Iran, of course he has. Uh, I mean, that was in 2014, and I think I was the first British journalist to get a visa to get into Iran. Wow. And it took eight months, and I had to go to Dublin to get the visa, where course, in the Iranian embassy um, started shouting at me, blaming me for uh, the... British government's diplomatic treatment of Iranian citizens. I'm like, look, mate, I've just been invited by the manager <laughs> of the national team. And at first the visa was 100, then it went up to 200, and by the end it was 400. And my editor said, if it gets to 500, we'll pull in the trip. And I said, fine. And I went there and he was brilliant, and I got treated really well in, in Tehran. Um, the Iranians love the football. Uh, I knew Brian Kidd really well. I knew the family well. So I remember mm. going to... Um, a party at his house and my mates were invited as well and uh my mates got a little bit starstruck and were coming out the toilet going like there's kiddos wellies and like there's kiddos bog roll and then the <laughs> lad who was the most starstruck went into the kitchen to get a beer 
and he got followed into the kitchen by somebody called Sir Alex Ferguson. And I just remember <laughs> seeing me mate open his beer, turn round, and seeing Fergie go, how are you doing, son? <laughs> my mate just, his head was just brilliant. I, 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 I think he called him Gaffer. I'm like, why are you calling him Gaffer? <laughs> but further to what you're saying about the different types of personalities, what strikes me is they're all completely different. Brian mm. Kidd is so different to Carlos Quiroz. Mm. And he's so different to, to Mike Phelan, um, Jim Ryan, uh, whose son Neil is now in charge of United's under-18s. Um, they're totally different personalities. And they're not always popular with the players. And used one word, Laurie, conduit. Mm. It's the perfect word to use because quite often the players have got a problem with the manager. There's no two ways about it or vice versa. And the assistant can be the buffer. And kiddo could go to someone and say, look, the manager's not happy with you and here's why. Or a player could go to the assistant and say, look, I'm having a bad time. And it might be a personal problem. It might be a serious personal problem um, with a relationship or whatever. And that buffer can, can work um, really well. Or the manager and the assistant can work as a double act. So mm -hmm. Fergie might say, you say it's better coming from you and then I'll, I'll catch him after training and I'll, I'll come at the player with a, a slightly different point. And the whole idea is to get the players to be better and to be more motivated. I remember Kiddo saying to Andy Cole, don't think that scoring 40 goals a season will be enough here. And his point was, he was a goal scorer at Newcastle, but at Manchester United, you needed to be more of an all-round player. And Cole was initially struck by that. and But then he, he saw sense in it. Kieros wasn't massively popular with the players. Partly because... He called them by the second names, you know, Giggs, Giggs, <laughs> Neville. Oh, really? Neville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they weren't always having him, but they respected him. And he's a brilliant um, tactical coach. He's yes. an absolutely fantastic tactician. And he's multilingual. So when United were bringing in Brazilians and Portuguese and Spaniards, you know, Sir Alex tried to speak to them in their language and actually could often put a few sentences together, which impressed them. Uh, but, but Carlos speaks five or six languages. I don't think he ever learned Farsi when he was in Iran, but he was a hero <laughs> there. And because he'd invited me, however nervous I was going to Iran, because I, I, I was really nervous, I knew that if it came on top, that the man who'd invited me was a hero in that country. And, and I kept in touch with Carlos. He's now in Colombia. Uh, he did really well, taking Iran to two World Cup um, finals. Um, kiddo, I'd say about Kiddo, he's a great Mancunian kiddo. And he's obviously served City and United especially well. And, you know, he's, when my dad died a couple of years ago, he rang me up because he reads who's died in the Manchester Evening News. I, I, I Andy, son, how are you doing? And I love stuff like that. And I remember meeting him years ago. We had a few ideas to do stuff together. And he said his greatest fear was walking down Deansgate in Manchester and not having the respect to the people in, in Manchester. He also said that he came out in a rash whenever he went south of Ardwick. So he's a proper Mancunian. <laughs> and and he, he, he wasn't a great manager, let's be honest. When he went to Blackpool, he Blackburn, he struggled. But he was a brilliant number two. 
And it's a really interesting subject, and you, you did a good job of it, Laurie. Well, that's one just um, final point on them, but picking up on literally what you just said, Andy, that's what one thing that Rene said that when he was at Fulham and, and Maccabee Haifa, especially, he said that he just realised how good the players were at Man United. So the ideas that he'd been able to convey and they'd been picked up so quickly at, at, at Carrington just took more time and, and maybe weren't even you know picked up fully with the players that he was dealing with. So I suppose that's the gap, isn't it? You know, from assistant at Man United to a manager in your own right, it's a different skill set and. Is it, yeah, as you say, I, th- I think it's a fascinating subject and you could probably do more on it. It's an open secret. Cardiff Kieros was brought in to help Ferguson figure out Champions League football and the tactics involved there. Yeah, totally there? true. Totally yeah. true. There we yeah. go. And yeah, I really enjoyed that piece. Listener, if you haven't read it yet, I heartily recommend it, along with another piece from Adam Crafton talking about Roy Keane and what it's like to play for Roy Keane when Roy Keane was a manager. Um, mm. This is really fun. Uh, Adam has been on the podcast a couple of times, but he's not here to talk about this one. So we're going to give him his flowers here. Laurie, (laughs) Roy Keane, football manager. What was that like? Yeah, I loved it. It's a, it's, a, it's a long piece, but it's well worth your time to sort of go all the way through because the stories, the honesty that's in there, you know, it's, it's guys speaking on the record. Uh, you've got Carlos uh, Edwards, who was with him at Sunderland, you know, paint, paint a really nuanced picture of, of Roy Keane. So obviously we only see him as the pundit nowadays uh, and quite an abrasive pundit. You know, Cal Walker has been in his crosshairs. David De Gea, Harry Maguire obviously suffered from his, uh, you know, whiplash tongue that he's got. Um, and, and obviously you can see that that's how sometimes he will have spoken to players as a manager and assistant manager I was at my Aston I was covering Aston Villa when he was assistant manager Paul Lambert there and there were certainly some disagreements on the training pitches at Bodymore Heath so um, it was quite interesting though to hear players speak on the record about it and I guess they had a bit of there's a bit of time uh, elapsed um, and maybe they think he's never going to be managing them again you know that's the question that Adam posed you know he's, he's coming up to his 50th birthday Roy Keane and he, he's, he's, he's not sounding like I know there was the, the, the link with Salford City um, but we, we don't it doesn't really feel like he's, he's necessarily going to go into management. It's a long time since he left Ipswich. Um, but I really enjoyed the story from David Norris, uh, who was his captain at Ipswich, talking about the contradictions of Roy Keane and when, you know, for example, they were having a, a pre-season tour and it kind of come to the end of, of the pre-season and, and Keane allowed them, his players, you know, a sort of night out, but said, right, you've got a curfew, don't misbehave. You know, I want you on the bus at 9am the next day, you know, ready to go. And then when they were all on the bus, they all, abided by his rules uh, they were all fresh you know for the trip home he then laid into them for not getting into you know trouble and, and not showing <laughs> character which obviously you know Roy Keane himself had, had done as a player and, and Andy you know better than you know either at Carl or I you know the kind of stuff that Roy Keane as a player and then as a manager might have um, sort of got up to yeah he was a fascinating character and I was interviewing him basically from the the first few months when he joined United, when interviews would be, let's go for something sweet in the grill room. And I can remember I did several with Paddy Crerand and him and Roy got on, got on really well. And I can remember seeing him socially in Manchester, uh, the highs and the lows of that, you know, I remember being in a bar once opposite Discotheque Royale and Roy came in (laughs) and came straight up to me and like, how you doing Andy? All right. Yeah, fine. And he goes, not following me, are you? I'm like, what? So he just come up to you. And then he's just verbally done you and digged you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, how can I follow you? You've just walked into the bar that I'm in. And then he just grin and walk away. And then uh, I remember interviewing him for 90 minutes in Philadelphia and United's press officer, Di Law, and was sort of pulling the hair out. And Roy just kept going, I'm talking, I'm talking. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is just journalistic gold. <laughs> and I'd say to him, um, have you read uh, a book by so-and-so? And he'd go, yeah, but he's a 
<laughs> and, yeah, I know, but have you read it? It's a great book. I don't care. He's a... <laughs> and then I felt like he was trying to fight me just because I asked him if I'd read a book, which was a very successful book at the time. And then... Um, that interview was picked up everywhere. He gave it to the fanzine and he, I really appreciated that. And then a few weeks later, I get a, a phone call and uh, it was Roy Keane. Anyway, and he said, right, you little beep. <laughs> <laughs> I've done you a favour. You can do me one now. <laughs> what is it? And he was he was interested in buying a place in, in Spain and I'd bought a place um, not long previous to that. And I was telling him all about Barcelona as a city and uh, said I'd do some research for him and suggest the type of areas. I think he was looking at, you know, a second home and he didn't end up going through with it. But I remember saying to him, you know, if I've just bought a place and if you want me to put you in touch with the guy who helped me out with the mortgage and everything. And as I'm saying, I'm thinking, why am I telling someone who earns £90,000 <laughs> a week that there's a decent mortgage broker <laughs> who can speak good English? And he, he sort of heard me out and he just went, no, I'm all right, thanks. And it was the best <laughs> it was the best put down I've ever had done on me. And then so many, so many stories. I've seen him at grounds and you, you don't know quite what you're going to get if you're on it, if I'm honest. Um, don't know what mood he's in. remember seeing him in camp now on the anniversary of the of his greatest ever game, that Juventus 2 United 3, and said, that's the anniversary. And he's like, he wasn't bothered. Just, I might as well have just said, you've just stood in dog shit another <laughs> time. No, and not longer, not so long ago, I saw him at Manchester Airport, and people were going up to him, and if they asked him for a photo or an autograph, no problem. If they surreptitiously went close to him and took a picture, he'd basically offer to fight him, and and there was no two ways about it. And and I I agreed with him. I mean, I'm not saying that it should be fighting, but if people were respectful to him, he was respectful back to them. And ended up sitting with him for a couple of hours and telling him stuff which he didn't know. I said, you know, yes, but Blomquist was really annoyed that you didn't speak to him for seven weeks after that game in Turin because you said that he'd misplaced a pass to you and, and you know, it wasn't even a bad pass. And he's like, oh, really? He said, hell of a player, Jesper. And then you could see him start to reminisce. Roy, this is dangerous. You said you never look back and now you're looking back. This is really dangerous for you. <laughs> I know people who played under him at Sunderland where he did an absolutely brilliant job. He took over from Niall Quinn and one of my best friends, a Spanish lad, was playing under him and he had a really bad experience. Um, Roy just didn't fancy him as a player and I wrote that a few years later and Roy came up to me and said, I saw what you wrote and he, he didn't agree with the version of events of the player and as a journalist, my source was a good and I felt the guy had no reason to lie whatsoever but... I can remember finishing Paddy Creran's autobiography in 2006-07 and Paddy saying on the record, Roy Keane is a future Manchester United manager. That's how well he did initially mm. in Sunderland. And and then it started to go wrong. He did all right initially in the Premier League. I went to see him when he played a game up at Newcastle and then he went to Ipswich and it started to unravel a bit. And you hear good stories about him and you hear bad stories. And I wonder whether he'll be top-level manager again. I smiled when you said then, Laurie, about descriptions of training ground um, disagreements at Aston Villa. I think that's a really diplomatic way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, because... I, I can't really go into the full ins and outs there. <laughs> no, and, and there's loads where I can't go. I know one player who was going to sign for Aston Villa 
and turned the car around on the M6 because he got a better offer from a different Premier League club. And he received a phone call from Roy soon after that. And, you know, you wouldn't have liked being on the end of that phone call. But then... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We'll save these stories for Talk of the Devils, the live show. (laughs) Come in this Don't treat people with the respect. Um, You know, he's got an old old school way of doing it. One final thing on him. If you go to Cork, where he's from, the second biggest city in Ireland, but people in Cork will say it's the most important city in the Republic of Ireland. He's an absolute hero. His images are around. I went there for the the game a couple of years ago, the testimonial game for Liam Miller. And I wanted to be the first journalist to ask him a question, partly because you don't know what what, what you're going to get back from him, whether he's going to rip your head off or give you the best <laughs> answer ever. And he was, he was on uh, good boy duty that day and he was brilliant. And he brought together all those players um, to play that game for Liam Miller. They sold out a capacity crowd of over 40,000 people. And he was fantastic. He, he brought all the top lads in. And I think history will remember him. Certainly is an extremely interesting person. Possibly the greatest ever Manchester United midfielder. I know that people will still argue whether it's Brian Robson or Roy Keane and and fascinating and uh, I think there's still life in him yet there'll be more twists and turns in the Roy Keane story and his two autobiographies were absolutely gripping this episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds's small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right then, we've got a fantastic question here from Cal Gordon, who us are the women's team now the best united team and how long until casey stoney starts getting tapped up as england manager uh listeners if you haven't been paying attention to the women's super league you should because manchester united are top of the table uh, casey stoney's side in their third season no less are one of the teams to beat in the women's top flight uh, coming from 2-0 down against manchester city to draw 2-2 uh, on the weekend uh, tobin heath new signing uh, scoring one of the most furious goals You'll see all season, it nearly broke the damn net. Uh, credit to Casey Stoney. Laurie, have you been following Manchester United women's team? Well, I certainly saw Tobin Heath's goal, um, which, as you say, sort of seemed to take the net off. Um, you know, high press, City give it away, and she just runs up to it and smacks it in the top corner. So, hell of a goal. Uh, and I interviewed Lauren James, actually, um, sort of at the start of lockdown. She was really lovely girl to interview, and... You can see from the play that she's got, she's direct runner and, and really interesting play and she'll, she'll certainly improve. But I think the fact that they've come from the championship, got promoted and now they're having such success in the top flight, it's, it's not an easy thing. Um, it, you know, people might think, well, they've, you know, they've chucked a load of money at it, but it's not, it's not quite, that, that that's not the case. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they've, you know, held Man City who have been, 
you know, at that top, uh, top, top, top of the table for for a long while now. Um, to a two-two draw, comeback showed a lot of character. Um, I think that bodes well for the rest of the season. They certainly want to watch. Yeah, they certainly are an important entity. Um, in a previous life, when it was athletic soccer, I wrote about the start of Manchester United's women's team, uh, and we had some very good quotes from Casey Stoney, who talked about how she basically had to build a football team from scratch in a truncated pre-season after United got the license. It's a fantastic effort. They won the championship by several acres and a mile. Uh, and now, after finishing fourth last season in their first WSL season, they are now top of the table, unbeaten at the moment. They've also beaten Arsenal. There's no longer a top three in the women's top flight. There's very much a top four. And credit to Casey Stoney and all the hard work she's put in. Andy, what do you think of Manchester United women's team? I saw the goal. It was incredible. I'm seeing the results as well. I'm not watching it as closely as, as some. And... I can remember the previous incarnation uh, in the 1990s when United had a women's team, but it was purely amateur. I remember going to write a feature on them on a park pitch in Stockport, uh, which overlooked Man- the Manchester City Centre over in the distance. And it was you know, like a Sunday league operation. I think United took the time to get a women's team into the uh, professional women's team, but they've gone about it in a really good way. Everyone I speak to, about Casey speaks very well of her. I know that when they were looking for a coach, stroke manager, as soon as she'd done the interview, uh, calls went around the club saying, we've got the one we want. And you can see that. I think she comes across uh, really well. United are investing good money and they've closed the gap. As you said, won the second tier by distance last year. I think the fan culture is quite interesting. Some of the crowds have been really encouraging pre-lockdown and you do see people who go and watch the women's team and there's a fan culture developing they go to away games you see the flags I think some of the flags are on the terrace uh, at Lee and I've met some fans who also go to the men's team who were really into watching the women's team so it's all quite new and I still think that the, the the women's professional league in England has got some catching up to do in terms of if you look at the dominant teams in the Champions League, uh, I watched the Leon side a couple of years ago. I went to interview Raphael in Leon, and he said, "Why don't you come to the women's team tonight?" And eleven thousand watched that game, and there's been some huge um, one-off crowds at most clubs: Barcelona, Madrid, Atletico, Athletic Bilbao. In Spain, I've all had forty, fifty thousand, but as one-offs. And I think what they've got to do to build the sport is to increase the average crowds, which are still very low. You're still seeing crowds of 1,500, 2,000. You're occasionally seeing three-figure crowds, even in the top level. So they've just got to build that. But my feeling at the weekend was that it was a really good idea to play such a high-profile game as the Manchester derby on the international weekend when it could get a lot of attention. And it got my attention. I watched the second half. I tweeted the goal out. That goal, I think, has done wonders for Manchester United's women's team. And the top flight in England is now attracting some of the top uh, American players. And a mate of mine represents a couple of the girls at Barcelona. He started asking me, you know, how much are they paying in uh, Manchester United at the moment? Mm. Um, one of my players is interested in joining and, you know, that's these are Barcelona players. So you can see how the profile is going up as along with the, um, the money which the players are getting. It's still the girls are, are earning wages which are a tiny fraction of what the men's um, game game earn but I think there's so many positives about it 
things are going to get only better and better. Uh, rest assured, listener, we will be covering Manchester United's women's team both through the work of KEY, our women's football editor, and through our work here on Talk of the Devils as well. Thank you, as ever, listeners, for sending in all of your questions. We appreciate it every single week. James Curtis, at James Curtis123 on Twitter, asks, is there a Marcus Rashford injury update? And are there any worries at the club that Dan James's progress has stalled? Um, Laurie, you talked last week about Rashford having a shoulder issue. Will he be available for West Brom on the weekend? Personally, think so. I think the uh, the shoulder issue that sort of forced him off at the end of the game against Everton was always likely to be a difficult one to manage during an international break. So the, the withdrawal didn't uh, didn't surprise me so much. Um, but I do feel like with a couple of weeks off, he should be fully fit for the for the West Brom game. Um, I mean, certainly he showed how important he is to United over the last few weeks. So um, yeah, I'd expect him to be um, fit for that game. Um, and then, yeah, in, in terms of Dan James, we, we spoke about him before, haven't we? I, I think United are just trying to get him, um, you know, back into a, a mode of confidence where he can take players on and then find that end product. He played for Wales against Ireland um, the other night and showed some really good penetrative runs and maybe just not quite picking the right pass at, at the right moment. There was one for David Brooks that he possibly could have slipped in. Um, but yeah, I mean, he had interest in him over the summer from Leeds, from Brighton, but the word back very much was that he uh, is a Manchester United player, wants to stay at United, wants to prove that he can play for United on a consistent basis, which he did do last season. So hopefully he, he can get back to that kind of, of level and playing on the left. I think that's a crucial thing. He played on the right a lot. It's not. It doesn't necessarily suit his game. We spoke about this before, I think. Uh, whereas at Swansea, came uh, through on the left hand side, could cut in onto his right foot and and, and score the goals that he did do. Uh, you know, and he did do for United as well against Southampton away, for example. So, uh, yeah. So nothing. Nothing. I don't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think of of the Dan James situation as anything major. It's, it's just one of those naturally developing circumstances for a, for a young player that hasn't actually played that much first team football in his career. I'm not absolutely convinced. Um, I think he. Well, I, I know that the feeling is that he was overplayed in his first season. He he started those early games. He got the early goals, and he had a very fair wind behind him, and that meant that he played a lot more games than was initially expected when he'd signed um, from Swansea. Still very young. He only turned 23 last week, but he's got to improve. And the the point I'd made was when United returned from Cologne after losing to Sevilla. It was Dan James who Ollie Gunnar spoke to bad baggage carousel in the private terminal at Manchester Airport, telling him to come back focused, to come back fit. I don't think his fitness has ever really been an issue. It's just his end product is frustrating to watch. He can run with the ball and then just run into a dead end at times. I think there's a talent there, but he's got to uh, improve significantly if he's going to become a Manchester United regular. Um, I know he played against Palace, the opening game, didn't do so well, played against... Uh, Newcastle in the league played against, started against Chelsea in the league as well. So he's become more peripheral, and there's a danger, and this isn't particularly fair, that of him becoming a scapegoat. When he, when I saw him warming up in Turkey a few weeks ago, I tweeted from the stand to say Dan James is warming up, and the reaction was pretty negative, and that's unfortunate because the lad's been through a lot, and he is still young and. If he'd only played 20 games last season, as might have been expected, then expectations wouldn't be so high. But let's be honest, if you're a forward player for Manchester United, you've got to be assisting and scoring more than, than Dan's been doing. But I know the manager likes him. Uh, he's just got to start delivering and repay that, that trust in him. His time will come. Uh, a question here from JB at MiracleJ90. 
It's a transfer question of sorts, uh, largely fueled by the great performances of Jack Grealish for England over the international break. Simply ask, should Manchester United gone for Jack Grealish over Donny van der Beek? Uh, and who should they be prioritising in the next transfer window? Laurie, we did a lot of transfer talk over the summer. What happened to the links to Jack Grealish? Well, yeah, he, he was at one stage United's number one target, or at least that's what I was told and reported. And I think that was certainly the case before Bruno came in uh, in January and that kind of changed the mode of, of who United were looking for and obviously became a right winger, um, you know, player X, as we, we shall call him, as, as you, you call him, <laughs> Carl. Um, and and I, obviously then Van der Beek came in. So you're sort of thinking, could could Grealish have filled that role? And essentially, you know, he, he scored the goal that kept Aston Villa up and that therefore made his price a lot more expensive than it would have been had they been in the championship. I think there was a, an acceptance from, from all parties that if Aston Villa were in the championship Jack Grealish had shown he was deserving of a higher platform and they would have let him leave for a Premier League side albeit you know for a good chunk of money but not the kind of 70 80 million I think that that, that Villa were looking for um, you know maybe close towards the 40 50 million United might have done that obviously with the price that Van der Beek came in at um, you know Van der Beek is younger has that Champions League experience but comes from the Dutch league whereas Grealish had you know is very well seasoned in the English leagues and the Premier League and we're seeing it this season that he's he's taken his game to another level he's seasoned the, the initiative for Villa he looks like a leader on the pitch and I think he would have been a really interesting addition for, for United not necessarily even playing you know that number 10 role I think Bruno's got that nailed down he plays more or, you know, on on the left wing, I suppose uh, for United, and I know that's Rashford's position, but I think you could you could have fit Grealish in, you know, maybe on the right wing. You know, I, I, that's sort of become a little bit of a, a an interesting issue for United um, this season, and I think Grealish could you know easily have played there. I'm not sort of saying you, you could just <laughs> shuffle him anywhere, but he's he's a clearly a talented. You know, super talented player uh, who can carry the ball and I think he can you know, adapt his game and, and that game against Belgium has just reaffirmed what people were thinking about him uh, and sort of proven that he can play against the, the very best um, so yeah I guess that's why we're getting the questions about him at the moment and as far as the second part who should United be prioritising next transfer window I'm going to take I'm, I'm going to plead the fifth on that one and, and wait until we're closer <laughs> to January <laughs> Andy I'm going to give you 80 million to spend in January and you can buy a player in a position no names just the position it's a tough one because I'm really nervy when writing about transfers because I like to have hard evidence that the club are going to have them because there's been a few occasions where I've done stuff and when the transfer hasn't turned out to go through even though your sources are really good people go absolutely ape shit you said he was going to sign on this day no I didn't <laughs> so United were looking at him <laughs> um where would I look at um, strengthening now? I think the right wing position. You know, we had the Jaden Sancho section. Um, Traore um, will come in. Is he ready? I don't know. Don't think so. Uh, Palestre. I remember saying that I didn't expect him to go into the first team and being surprised when United said that that would happen. Uh, I'm told he's not ready. He's training well, but he's not ready for the first team um, just yet. So you'd think on on the right-hand side, uh, but it changes month to month. You know, I remember Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire getting pelters at the start of this season and people saying we needed a, a new um, central defender. Um, I, I'd like to see, I'm like, I'm like Laurie, I'd like to see another 10 games in to see if Cavani's scoring goals. And I think there's always a position which needs to be improved. And I think 
some of the stuff we've said remains true about United needing to move on some of the players who are at the club on huge wages but are not playing and don't feature in the manager's plans. Um, I'm talking about players like Phil Jones or or Jesse Lingard or Marcus Rojo or Sergio Romero and they've all got slightly different circumstances but you'd think that as professional footballers they would want to play professional football uh, while they're still in their, their physical prime to, to do so. In my opinion, I'd like a defensive midfielder. Another one would really help unlock Paul Pogba because I still want him to stay. We'll get into those topics in the weeks coming forward. Manchester United do indeed have to play 10 games in the next four weeks. I'm going to be knackered. Laurie's going to be knackered. Andy's going to be knackered. Hopefully you won't. So, listener, we'll see you sometime next week. It's going to be a great return to Manchester United this weekend, hopefully. Uh, other than that, it's goodbye from me, a goodbye from Laurie. Goodbye, guys. Thanks for listening. And a goodbye from Andy. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. Thanks once again for joining us for another episode of Talk of Devils. we see you sometime next week.